About this movie, Richard Corliss of Time Magazine gripes, nothing makes a moviegoer feel more isolated than sitting stony-faced through a comedy that makes the rest of the audience laugh and cheer. Critic Michael Upchurch of the Seattle Times says, the pacing is brisk and the energy of the performances are so palpable that even at its silliest and most contrived, the film is enjoyable. And Letterboxd user Undying Cheese says, if you didn't Google Joe Pesci height during this movie, you didn't actually watch it. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of my cousin Vinny. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! That one has nothing to do with this movie. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. There's no need because we are going to have uh, audio clips and we are going to hear Joe Pesci. We're going to hear Marissa Tomei. We're going to, I could have done a greetings, Starfighter. See, it doesn't sound good. Fred Fred Gwynn. We're going to hear the real thing. So you know what? I'm just going with the, hey, it's like, it's Friday. We're recording this on Friday, May the 14th. May the 14th be with you. Okay. uh, Because, yeah, why not? And... Yeah, so and it's great. It's great to be talking to you, John, and great to be yeah. talking about uh, one of my favorite comedies, My Cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. I'm actually surprised it's taken us this long to get to My Cousin Vinny. I I don't you, know. I it's not it's not a movie that I mean. Okay, first of all, set. Let's set the table a little bit. Putting the plates down. This is ruined childhoods. This is a podcast where we. Dan and I, uh, two brothers who grew up in New Jersey, which is going to come up at some point in this episode, talk about movies that we love, cult movies, classic movies, and others, and how we could be bringing them back these days as a prequel, sequel, reboot, whatever, stage adaptation, um, yeah, whatever. It's just, it's, you know, that is, it's what happens these days. We've got sequels to movies coming out 35 years after, after they, they, yeah. the first parts came out. I'm thinking about Top Gun because I know there's a, a re-release, a theatrical re-release of Top Gun opening right. today and Top Gun Maverick, which was supposed to be released last year. And now I, I, I actually don't know that it's coming out this year uh or if, or if they're holding off on it till next year but top gun maverick is like it's done it's yeah it's done it's ready so but we've got all of these sequels and we've got shows like cobra kai which breathe new live lives breathe new life we're gonna talk about for sure in a little a bit franchise oh of course yes yeah and so that's so what we're talking about here and it's not like we, I mean, I think I, it's safe speaking for both John and myself is that we don't necessarily love the trend of, you know, just reviving old properties versus creating new things. We both have an appreciation and love for original voices, new voices, but 
That being said, we are nostalgic for the films of our youth, and we we just want to see justice done for these these properties. And you know, like you said, it, right? It sometimes it's the ones that we love, but the other, you know, I have to say uh, to give us a little credit here, we go out of our comfort zones, we go into the uh, sure, you know, into the unknown. To quote Elsa. Frozen too. Uh, <laughs> and we go into, you know, it's like we, we've ventured into the Werner Herzog filmography. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, also just to go back briefly to what you were saying, it, it's not that we, it's not that new voices can't be explored by revisiting old properties. It's completely possible for, uh, you know, new up-and-coming directors and writers to uh, revisit older properties. Yeah. I mean, well, Ryan Coogler and Creed. So great it's example. Like he was still a, you know, lesser known. He definitely made it, made a lot of noise with his first couple of releases, but then Creed was like his third movie? Something so like that? Is, I think I think so. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yep, great. Another great example of how, uh, of, of how, um, a property can be. And really it's like when you take the rock, when you're looking at the Rocky franchise, it's kind of like, it became a joke. Like what more are we going to do with the Rocky franchise? But Creed <laughs> yeah. totally gave it a, uh, figured it out, really gave it a shot in the arm, literally and That's figuratively. Right. Cause I'm sure there were punches to the arm. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, before we get into My Cousin Vinny, I wanted to give a shout out to a podcast that I like very much, the Bechtel cast, which uh, focuses on movies through a feminist lens using the Bechtel test uh, as a platform or as a jumping off point to to really just talk about movies. And they their latest episode, which came out the day we're recording, I believe, is on the Full Monty. And I've been listening to that episode, and you know, we did our episode on the Full Monty during our month of movies that uh, co- whose titles coined terms are kind of redefined. Uh, in the case of the Full Monty, what the 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 term means, and uh, it was it's been really interesting to hear uh, a thoughtful analysis of that movie from a different perspective and they definitely touch on things that we didn't touch on just due to the nature of how their podcast runs and you know we talk about things that they're not talking about so uh, it's a great companion piece if you're a fan of the full monty or if you've listened to our episode of the full monty and want to hear just more (laughs) then uh check out the bechtel cast because they are fantastic and i always love hearing what they have to say about especially movies that we have talked about before just to hear more about them uh from a different perspective yeah absolutely and and even if you're not a fan of the full monty Check it out. If you're not part of the cult, the full Monty cult that's out there somewhere. Yeah. Those Fox searchlight stands. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, do you have anything that you wanted to bring up before we really get into my cousin Vinny? No, nothing. Uh, nothing. Uh, you know, I, I, 
I guess I could share. We just finished out. Uh, we've been doing a little family, some family movie nights, and uh, yeah. my my wife and I and our, our seven year old daughter, and we have just closed out the Mighty Ducks trilogy, um, composed of the okay. Mighty Ducks D two and D three, and um, you know, may I say they 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 had a good run. Three, uh, the the quality drops quite a bit, and there's some. Some gaps in logic. Yeah, I don't know but... if I saw the third. I think that one was maybe that maybe that one was straight to video. It might have been, which was a thing at at a time. Yeah, I think it was a straight to video. Although, what's interesting, it's funny because it reminded me of uh, another franchise that we love, Police Academy, in the way that mm. it. So, like in the first Mighty Ducks, you've got uh, you know uh, Joshua Jackson. Um, is you know i guess the main lead lead kid but some some other actors that we've talked about on here before uh sean weiss from from heavyweights um aaron Mm -hmm. um oh i'm sorry i'm blanking on his name schwartz yeah aaron schwartz thank you the um lead actor in heavyweights goldberg is is also well uh sean weiss is goldberg oh sean weiss is goldberg yeah and and yeah um aaron schwartz plays another character on the ducks uh danny tamborelli from um pete and pete Pete Pete. is is in there marguerite moreau from uh wet hot american summer so that like they're all in the first eldon henson eldon henson uh, who was in the daredevil series and seems i haven't watched any of the new mighty ducks series but it seems like he plays a a bigger role in that reboot series. I mean, he's got a pretty good role in all three of the films. So, and that's kind of uh, where I'm going. So they, they, in the first Mighty Ducks, you know, they become the state champions, which I guess in Minnesota, there are only like eight or nine teams because it's not a big series to become the state champions. And they... So that, and then the second one is they play in the Goodwill games. So, and this is where it kind of starts to become Police right. Academy esque, because not all of the characters from the first one return in the second one. So Goldberg, Sean Weiss is not is not in the second one. Aaron Schwartz actually, mm. a- Aaron Schwartz goes the way of Leslie Barbara from the Police Academy series, and is only he's a, like a big part in the first one, and then just is gone without mm. explanation. Uh, and then they they add in some new characters like Keenan Thompson joins the, right. the series in well, and he is a great addition a great addition indeed and then they and they bring in like you know there's a kid from Texas and he's like he plays hockey right. but he's also like rodeo and he's fun yeah no it, it it's a lot of fun and then in the third one. The plot of the third one, and I know we're not. This is not a Mighty Ducks episode, but the plot of the third one is the 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 Ducks are offered scholarships to this big prep school in Minnesota, where Emilio Estevez's character Gordon Bombay had gone, and mm-hmm. they they basically brought in to be the new junior varsity hockey team. And okay. they're given scholarships to be, and it's a very, this one is more like slobs versus snobs. Like the first one was there, but this one right. really uh, gets, it's like very Revenge of the Nerds-esque, uh, minus the nudity and sexual assault. Uh-huh. Um, so you've got, so like, and it's all, the, so even the, so the, the it's set like it, outside of Minneapolis, 
around Minneapolis, the the first one. And this one is set in Minnesota as well. But inexplicably, these kids who are 13, 14, uh, who have who were part who joined the team to be in the like international goodwill games where they beat like uh-huh. the team from Iceland, which Iceland. Yeah. Which they were like oh, professional quality team. And so then D3, the kids who like the 14 year olds who come from you know LA, Maine, Texas are all just living there. They they're they're all just like that's where they're going to school. They're not mm-hmm. living at the school, but they're all they're going to the school. You add uh and then some of the characters come back. They weren't in the second one. Goldberg is back in Oh, in, in the third back, one, I feel like, I feel like there's there's like Goldberg, and and then there's another couple of characters that just kind of disappear inexplicably, but they don't seem to acknowledge. And then they come in, and everyone treats them like jabronis. Meanwhile, they they won like this international tournament, and right, you know, and, and it's like, and and they're just like treated like a joke. And and we're supposed to see them again as a joke, and it's like uh, right. we saw D two, we know what their credentials are, right? So oh. yeah, I mean you know it's fine for family movie night, but I I have to say in terms of a of a trilogy, uh, and I guess I should shout out the trilogy podcast as as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that right. Covers trilogies, and I I believe they have done a Mighty Ducks episode, so <laughs> the Mighty so I. Yeah, I have two thoughts about the Mighty Ducks. The first, and then <laughs> we'll talk. Maybe we'll do a Mighty Ducks episode. We'll see. Uh, in which case, this would come up again. Um, one of my favorite things about the Mighty Ducks is that the main character is named after two different brands of gin: Gordon Bombay. And you've got to respect that. Hey, man, '90s Disney. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. And the other thing is that. In um, the first Mighty Ducks movie, I guess like the bad guy is played by Elaine Smith, who plays Jim Trotter in My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. So uh, who's excellent. Um, I feel like I became most aware of him in movies like The Mighty Ducks or Son-in-Law. But he's, you know, he was around for a long time. Um, Unfortunately passed away i think in 2005 mm-hmm. from um lou gehrig's disease and uh big pour one out for lane smith because he really knows how to play that character <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah this and, was actually you know and in 1992 he played that character twice for jonathan lynn who directed my cousin oh. Vinny and also directed the distinguished gentleman Starring okay. Eddie Murphy, which yeah. which uh, that that that's one to come back to at some point. Okay, well, I'm going to do a little synopsis and then we'll uh, discuss my cousin Vinny. On a cross country road trip to college, sorry, I'll start that one again. On a cross country road trip to go to college, friends Bill and Stan are falsely accused of robbing a small town Alabama convenience store and killing the clerk. 
After Bill uses his phone call to talk to his mom, she tells him that there's actually a lawyer in his family, Bill's older cousin, Vinny Gambini. Arriving from Brooklyn, Vinny and his fiancée Lisa roll into town and are instantly fish out of water. Vinny quickly reveals himself to be a complete amateur attorney, but lies to the case's judge, saying that he's an accomplished defender in murder cases in order to convince the judge that it's okay for him to be there. And wanting to do things all on his own, he repeatedly declines offers for help from Lisa. Vinny is also up against a shark prosecutor, Jim Trotter. Despite the odds and overwhelming evidence, Vinny successfully proves that Bill and Stan couldn't be guilty using his best resource, expert automotive witness, Mona Lisa Vito, whose superior knowledge of cars saves Bill and Stan from death row. So, uh, Joe Pesci is famously Vinny Gambini. Uh, Ralph Macchio is Bill, his cousin. Marissa Tomei uh, won the Academy Award playing Mona Lisa Vito. Um, Mitchell Whitfield is Stan. Fred Gwynn plays the judge. Lane Smith is the prosecutor. Austin Pendleton is the public defender who we learn has a um, a stuttering problem and a, uh, I guess, I don't know, stage fright or, you know, he buckles under pressure. He but, stammers. Uh, in a very comical yeah. way. Yeah. He stammers, yeah. And um, it's just it's just really enjoyable. And Bruce McGill, we got to shout out Bruce McGill, D-Day from Animal sure. House. Uh, I, I mean, mean yeah. and of course... You know, like Bruce Bruce McGill is one of those guys who you might not know his name, but you know his face. You know his face. He's the sheriff in this. He's fantastic. Um, Dan, I love this movie. Uh, We grew up... I I mean, after this came out, our father, who's an attorney... You know, I just... When I associate this movie with him and how much he liked it, and uh, I can still, like... (laughs) Picture him quoting the two youths. He's lines. used that in court. Has he really? Yes, he oh has goodness. an attorney, so, and this movie is 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 known for its accuracy. Accuracy in yeah. terms of the legal. Yeah, process, and our, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, we grew up in New Jersey, uh, not too far outside of New York. You know, it's the same. I don't know. Uh, our family was not. Uh, Italian Americans, but we certainly uh, grew up around the type. There's the, these personalities all over the place. I, and I our would, father, I would suggest that in many ways, the uh, New York metropolitan area um, Jews and Italians were, you know, very similar. I feel like it was yeah. always very easy to uh to assimilate and like get along with uh you know italian families that w- that we were friendly with it's sure and yeah. also just ask our brother the pizza celebrity yes yes <laughs> <laughs> who uh, I, you know when when he's around other when he's around italian people which is most of his job i he absorbs their energy and you know, yeah. kind of fits right into that role. Yeah, because that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's how we grew up. That's where we grew up. So sure, we know. So when we see Vinny and and Lisa, yeah, they're they're definitely believable characters. And even though they might right. they might play like stereotypes, it, it, it doesn't play far from reality. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I really liked 
about my cousin Vinny that I hadn't really thought about before. And I probably watched this maybe three or four years ago, and I still hadn't really picked up on this. But I think that's something that I really appreciate is the sincerity with which Joe Pesci plays the character. You normally associate Joe Pesci with characters who are undesirable or mean-spirited, and Vinny is somebody who truly wants to prove that he's something more than people assume he would be. And he really is trying, you know, uh, the judge gives him this big book about Alabama law, and, you know, you see him, like, like really trying to like get through it really trying to learn um he uh, was kind of mentored by this judge who just really enjoyed the way that he argued like a parking ticket or something and and it's just like he really wants to try unfortunately he lets uh his stubbornness take over and not accept help you know he wants to do it by himself uh, and I feel so bad for for Lisa. She really, really wants to get in there and help. She's got to be so bored. What is there to do for her? Well, yeah, that's what she says. That's what yeah. she's constantly saying. And it's really frustrating for her. But speaking of the sincerity with which Joe Pesci plays Vinny, and also, may I add, uh, the sincerity and genuineness that Marissa Tomei brings to Lisa. Yeah. So as I'm watching this movie now, it's, I've of course, like, it's no secret that there's a bit of an age gap between Joe right. Pesci and Marissa Tomei. 20 years, in fact. And yeah. it's always been something that is noticeable, but ha- never bothered me. And in yeah. watching it this most recent time, I thought, well, it's just this the sincerity with which they play this relationship that you totally buy it from from the start Mm -hmm. and i was curious because i thought to myself i was like that's a kind of odd casting so looked into it and saw that the the role of Vinny was originally going to be played by andrew dice clay oh my god which makes perfect (laughs) sense when you think of imagine him in uh so there's the the scene where he first goes to the prison to see stanley and Bill, right. and there's all sorts of misunderstanding, double entendre uh, about, well, uh, basically about yeah. prison rape. Right. And when you imagine One Dice of the... delivering it. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a a joke trope that I really do not like. And it makes me feel so uneasy. And it's just like, ah. Uh, I understand that this was also 1992, so it hadn't yet been completely overplayed at this point. But I, I, I will admit there it is clever the way that they weave this joke in and the misunderstanding between Stan and Vinny, um, because Stan is in jail and he has heard pretty much one thing about jail, and that is that um, you know there's a good chance that if you you know, there's, it's the stereotype if, unless like, you, you know, you just have to become somebody's bitch. If you're not the butch, you're <laughs> and, the bitch. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and Stan when is Vinny comes no butch. in and doesn't, yeah, no. And when Vinny comes in and doesn't introduce himself, doesn't explain who he is and just kind of gets into it. And, uh, 
yeah it's well yeah and it uncomfortable it, yeah it it doesn't age well it it is also though it's set up in a way where it it feels like it is it's based in the characters it kind of introduces or, or gives you a, a good sense of of how Vinny is uh but also just plays on Stan's nerves because that keeps yeah. coming up and you know it leads Stan to go with the the public defender Austin Austin Pendleton Austin Pendleton who's always good and it's somebody another one of those actors where you might not know the name but you know the face right and but, uh even though his his look in this movie I I feel is so different from the way that he you know has looked in so many other movies I I think of him in a, in a little bit of a different way oh when I think of his name but I don't know. I just remember like watching, you know, seeing this movie for the first time. And even in 1992, oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. I mean, now, um, oh, it's Austin Pendleton. And I'm also not surprised because I've seen the movie like a dozen times. But right. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that and and just to get back to the uh, the the casting question, first of all, I, I mean, Joe Pesci's performance in this is iconic. And right. it, it's I as much as I think like dice would have been good. And like also the age difference between Vinny and Bill makes a little bit mm-hmm. more sense, uh, which, by the way, the, Fox right. dumped him uh, after the adventures of Ford Fairlane was a failure the, the year. Yeah, before. Yeah, total bomb. Yeah. Right. And talk about a movie that does not age well. So <laughs> uh, I don't even want to find out for myself. But but Joe Pesci. Yeah, who's no slouch as an actor. He's a, you know, Academy no. Award winner by the, by the time he's making this. He makes it work and and Marissa Tomei, the two of them, the way that they play off each other, uh just like that first scene when they arrive when they arrive into town and it's it's classic fish out of water stuff, but it's done exquisitely. Yeah, let's uh let's take a listen to that one. That one. What? Nothing. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. <laughs> Me? What about you? I fit in better than you. At least I'm wearing cowboy boots. Oh yeah, you blend. <laughs> I bet the Chinese food here is terrible. I don't see anything out of whack under there. It feels like the wheels went out of balance right after we hit that mud. Nah, that's not it. I think you should put it on a rack and take a look. What's wrong? What? What's the problem? Nothing. Call was shimmy in our highway a little bit. Yeah, you got mud in your tires. I got mud in my tires? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. How do you get mud into the tires? Oh, no. You see, that's just a figure of speech. See, the mud gets around the inside of the wheel, throws the balance off. You ever hear that? Mud in the tires? No. She never heard it. She knows everything about cars. <laughs> now see down here everybody gets stuck in the mud every now and then yep yeah we're famous for our mud famous for your mud how's your chinese food <laughs> <laughs> what a perfectly written choreographed performed scene well and it speaks to the movie and and it's something that as i'm watching this movie i really feel nostalgic for is and it was something that I think was done so well during during the 80s and the the first half of the 90s is just that really well-crafted, well-scripted, character-based 
formula comedy. Mm-hmm. You've got a yeah. you're, you're taking the formula of the fish out of water, the and and combining it with the courtroom courtroom drama. Sure, and it just feels so perfect. Everything is set up so well. You set up right away from this first scene, from the introduction to the character. You set up what's going to happen at the end. You set up parts mm-hmm. of the defense. Vinny references back to being stuck in the mud in Alabama. Right. Yeah. Well, throughout the entire movie, there are little things that Vinny picks up on that come back and help him make his case, such as the scene with the grits. Ah, uh, yes. What's, what's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure, sure, I heard of grits. I just actually never seen a grit before. Good, honey, you can try it. You first. What is a grit, anyways? It's made out of corn. Them hominy grits. Hominy? Hmm. <laughs> How do you cook it? Well, you simmer it in water for 15 or 20 minutes, put it on the plate and add butter. <laughs> so, you gonna eat it or not? It's wonderful also because Vinny is very non-judgmental. Uh, you know, he is com- he is a complete foreigner in this land, and he. You d- it's not like he's trying to impress them, but he's just truly trying to be his best self and be accepting of this culture that he's just not that familiar with. And at this point, it's not like he's doing this knowing that it's going to help him win his case. He's doing it because he wants to be friendly and he wants to show them that he's not just this weird stranger coming into town. Yeah, it's a really nice touch. I love how it comes back during yes. uh, during the trial. Yeah. It's uh the courtroom scenes are fantastic. Every single one of them is memorable in its own way. Oh, yeah. And and such a great like it's been cited by law school professors as right. that it teaches it 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 shows a lot of the things that you don't learn in law school and that it, uh it also just it provides a great model of of questioning a witness. Uh, preparation right. like you see Vinny like that's the other thing about Vinny doing doing the hard work is he's going out he's interviewing all of the witnesses at their homes he's really mm-hmm. observant and you do, even though it, it's definitely in question and you're like how is he going to win this you know he's going to but that's another thing about just that really well crafted comedy is movies like this have a way of putting the protagonist in very believable jeopardy that even if you've seen the movie before, you're still kind of buying into it. You're still, mm-hmm. you've still got that sense of what's going to happen, even though you know what's going to happen. Right. And it, it was so, it, it's so very refreshing to watch and there's not a moment wasted in it. Every, everything, moves moves along you've got the sequence of his scenes with judge haller in the judge's mm-hmm. chambers and every time he goes in and and has to make up a story <laughs> right yeah i 
and every single like bit that's done that doesn't have to do directly with the case builds on the story, such as them kind of having to move to different to stay at different places because there's something that happens in the middle of the night, some that makes some crazy loud noise that keeps him awake that causes a lot of lack of sleep and yeah. And it leads to like what he does in court. Like he falls asleep during Trotter's opening statement, which I yeah, I love <laughs> I I I love uh you know the opening I I love the opening statement and Trotter's really putting on a show. Lane Smith really does such a great job as as the uh as the prosecutor. And then uh oh and you know what's interesting during uh during the opening statement mm-hmm. is and I, I guess this is something to, to point out. You've got a movie here about a lawyer, a couple from Brooklyn. Right. Who traveled to the deep south. The movie is directed by Jonathan Lynn, who's British. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's so interesting because not that like everything needs to you know, be, you know, poignant and, and point out, you know, the, uh, the kind of shameful truths of, of racism in the country. But there's a moment in the opening statement that made me think like he's acknowledging it and it's so subtle. Hmm. And it's when Trotter references, he talks about like the, the, pride in the in their like founding fathers and the people who started the state of Alabama and they cut to one of the black jurors who kind of has right. this like excuse me look on her yes yeah. oh I yeah I wish I had that clip pulled but yeah I I picked up on that too where he's yeah he's talking about like this is where we came from and yeah yeah it's like it's- well no he talks about coming as, as everyone kind of coming from Europe, right? Something like that. White, and, yeah, yeah. He's talking about he's he's totally disregarding the uh, you know the presence of the African American jurors and the fact right. that it's like, well, we don't quite share that story, do we? And, I know, yeah. And it's not like there's there. It is not brought up. It's not a focus. But there's just that cut to her face. And that's it. It's momentary. Never even caught it before. Yeah. But I thought I was like, that is really it's it's a skillful touch. And I know it's like that also goes to to, you know, that that's a, you know, a credit to to the editing, perhaps. And um, sure. Oh, and the screenwriter, by the way, is Dale Launer or Launer, mm-hmm. who, uh, by the way, is from Ohio and, and grew up in, in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. So, uh, you know, here you have someone who's neither from Brooklyn nor the Deep South writing about it. And a, a director who, uh, you know, is is British and is known at this point. This is his, th- I think, third movie uh, after mm-hmm. after Clue and Nuns on the Run. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. So, well, sorry, just real quick to go back to what you were saying about the jurors and how you had never noticed that before that the 
I think there were two black jurors. Two or three. And there were three. Uh, three. But you had never noticed that reaction shot before and what he was saying and that thing like that. And I think that that's really a credit to how uh, watching good movies at different points in your life where your maybe perspectives are not necessarily changed, but the things that you you are valuing or that are important to you maybe are at a different level from when you were maybe watching it the last time, whether it was just a few years ago. And, you know, it's 2021 right now, and racial justice is... and and equity and just acknowledgement of the african-american and black experience is and all uh people who are you know identify as bipoc um people just it's, understanding it's the perspectives of marginalized communities absolutely and then you pick up on something uh, that f- highlights that even more because it's really fresh in your mind because it's something that you're thinking about a lot more than you were back in 1992 maybe yeah oh definitely yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people in 1992 were thinking about it, considering uh, what was going on. <laughs> but well, certainly, when uh, we were children, we weren't. Uh, yeah, no, I was that. a freshman in high school when when this came right. out, and yeah. you know, it's a very naive worldview at the time. And of course, yeah. yeah. So dumb kids. I mean, this who? Word- I mean, I I say that as saying, you know, we were dumb kids. I feel like I want to give credit to a lot of the kids now who are way more aware of oh these things than we ever were. Yeah, yeah. But that's we're going off uh, into a completely different territory. We, we are, we are. So back, back to back to my cousin Vinny. There are so many, just so many great scenes that build the relationships, the relationship between Vinny and Lisa, the relationship between Vinny and Judge Haller, the relationship between Vinny and Trotter. The one mm-hmm. relationship that doesn't necessarily get as much attention is uh, like Vinny and Bill, his cousin. Yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. But uh, this, the scenes in which they are together, it's definitely memorable. And... um. Before I'm going to play a a clip really quickly, but before I do that, I'm going to just talk a little bit about Ralph Macchio, a little less about Mitchell Whitfield. Uh, Sorry, Mitchell, but Ralph Macchio is, you know, I I feel like so present in a lot of people's minds lately uh, and with, with Cobra Kai and, you know, he was coming off of Karate Kid, The Outsiders and you know, uh, this is kind of like his, I don't know, next phase, which unfortunately didn't really take off all that much. And you didn't really see him doing too much until recently with Cobra Kai. Yeah. He showed up in things here here and there. But um, I feel like this performance of his is the most natural I've ever seen him like in, in a movie. Uh, I feel feel like even in things like Karate Kid and the, you know, sequels that he was in and The Outsiders, he definitely felt more performmative to me, whereas in this, he feels more natural. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because there's less for him to do. The scene in Karate Kid Part 2 when he's about to win the fight 
and and give the fighting scenes aside and 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 then he honks uh he honks the the guy's nose um that was so that's ex- no, that's I, extremely performative actually the scene from karate the scene from from the original karate kid that does that to me always felt natural was when he's just like it's like after he gets his ass kicked and he comes home he's like i hate my bike and he's like oh, like throwing yeah. a tantrum about his bike uh, that always felt natural to me, but yeah, is I mean, I guess natural though. Uh, honestly, he doesn't seem too concerned. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's I think that if he was as concerned as Stan, it would have been those scenes would have been insufferable, and you wouldn't understand why uh, Bill kept on having faith in Vinny. Right, And that's why I wanted to play this scene, uh, because I feel like this scene is really where you begin to understand why Bill wants Vinny there. And this scene is coming off of um, Bill actually telling Vinny that uh, Stan is actually having the public defender uh, defend him and that Bill is probably going to do the same thing. What was he before he was a lawyer? A fucking comedian? How can it hurt? If he doesn't ask the right questions, your lawyer will, right? No, so- no, he can still fuck things up. There's more to cross-examination than knowing what to say. It's knowing what not to say. Look, let's say he asks all the possible questions, right? And the witness has all the answers. He ends up proving the prosecution's case. How did he ever talk you into it? And my cousin Ruthie's wedding. The groom's brother was that guy, Alakazam. You know who I'm talking about? The magician with the ponytail? Right. Well, he did his act. And every time he made something disappear, Vinny jumped on him. I mean, he nailed him. It was like, it's in his pocket. Or he's palming it, you know. Or there's a mirror under the table. I mean, he was like, he was like, wait a second, wait a second. It's joined in the middle, and there's a spring around it. It pops it open when it's inside the tube. I mean, it was, it's like Alakazam's worst nightmare. But he was just being Vinny. He was just being the quintessential Gambini. So, uh, actually, yeah. I thought that I had pulled the scene uh, before that as well, where uh, where Bill is with Vinny telling him that he was going to go with the public defender. And he actually does pull out a deck of cards. And he's basically saying, like, the... And he kind of goes over to the, the wall where they are. And it's this brick wall. And he's saying, like... You know, the the prosecution want like is showing you that they have this in like this like this wall. It's this solid, solid wall. And it's, you know, there there's all these layers to it and everything. And then he takes uh, a playing card and he puts it on its side and he's like, but what he's not showing you is that it's ex- an extremely thin uh case that he has. And he in in doing this thing with these cards and and what he ends up actually doing is taking a card that's like an ace and then he like does a little sleight of hand thing and it becomes a joker and uh the way that he speaks to bill convinces him to side with him and to to keep him on as his attorney which leads into that scene that we just that we just heard yeah but um, alakazam alakazam's worst nightmare the alakazam scene yeah and i uh, and and right there with um with Bill talking to Stan, I don't know. I just love the way that uh Ralph Macchio performs that exchange and you really believe that he has faith in his cousin and 
knows that he can talk his way, not, not talking his way, you know, into them winning because he know. I mean, they know that they didn't commit this crime and Vinny certainly believes that they didn't commit this crime. And Bill does believe that there's a way that Vinny can convince the jury and the judge that they are innocent, you know, just in the way that he sees things Mm -hmm. that other people don't see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, of course it helps when he gets a full night's sleep. It certainly Which does doesn't help happen he until he, he's uh, he stays in prison for the night. He stays in prison when Vinny yeah, so he keeps contempt. on <laughs> he gets yeah he keeps on getting held in contempt and getting thrown into jail, which is so funny. And I love that he's just like you know what I'm gonna actually stay. <laughs> oh, it's yeah that that part's that part's great. I mean his entrance into the courtroom when he's wearing that like the whatever like the usher tuxedo. Right. It's kind of like a carnival barker suit. So I'm going to actually play that scene. So what leads up to this is that uh, Vinny and uh, Lisa have stayed at Trotter's like hunting cabin. But what they didn't realize is that there was a screech owl that was going to be keeping them up all night. And when they kind of oversleep and are rushing to get to the courtroom on time, Vinny slips in the mud and uh gets himself covered in mud and his suit, even though like he didn't realize that his suit was in this bag that ended up getting thrown in the mud uh, because there's this thread about how the judge wants him to be wearing a suit and needs him to be looking presentable. And um, right. So then what happens is they go into town and well, I'll just let, I'll just let Vinny explain it. <laughs> Mr. Gambini, are you mocking me with that outfit? Mocking you? No, I'm not mocking you, Judge. Then explain that outfit. I bought a suit. You've seen it. Now it's covered in mud. This town doesn't have a one-hour cleaner, so I had to buy a new suit. Except that the only store you could buy a new suit in has got the flu. You get that? The whole store got the flu. So I had to get this in a second-hand store. So... It's either wear the leather jacket, which I know you hate, or this. So I wore this ridiculous thing for you. You on drugs? Drugs? No, I don't take drugs. I don't like your attitude. What else is no? I'm holding you in contempt of court. Oh, there's a fucking surprise. What'd you say? What? What'd you just say? <laughs> What'd I say? What? <laughs> How great is Joe Pesci? He's fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. And Fred, Fred Gwynn Gwyn. is amazing. Oh, the way, you know what I really was loving on this, on this viewing was Mr. Gambini. Every time yeah. he would say that. Oh. So... Right. So they go back into town and he sees that the store that sells suits says closed due to flu or something like that. And it makes me wonder, first of all, is that where he got his suit originally? Because as we know, he didn't arrive there with a suit. So he must have purchased it somewhere. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm wondering if there's a deleted scene somewhere where he's at the store buying the suit and like, I don't know, maybe the staff has like got the sniffles or something. <laughs> something leading you to believe like, uh oh, what's going to happen to them? Have the flu. Um, but anyway, it's it's a fantastic, super memorable scene. And it's oh, just so fan. This movie just like has memorable visuals or quotes just like one after the other oh yeah and not even just the things that people say but the ways that people say them and i'm gonna play a clip where marissa tomei completely uh will will tell you everything you need to about what i'm talking about and uh by the way we are starting to experiment with putting these episodes uh, up on YouTube. You can find the link um, in, we have a link tree, which is in the episode's description and um, it's, it'll, you can search for it on YouTube, but I, uh, you'll be able to see what we're talking about as well. Uh, but we'll try to describe her body language here. What's the matter with you? You're acting like you're nervous or something. Well, yeah, I am. What are you nervous about? I'm the one that's under the gun here. Trial starts tomorrow. You want to know what I'm nervous about? I'll tell you what I'm nervous about. I am in the dark here with all this legal crap. I have no idea what's going on. All I know is you're screwing up and I can't help. You lent me a little camera, didn't you? Oh, Finny, I'm watching you go down in flames and you're bringing me with you and I can't do anything about it. And? Well, I hate to bring it up because I know you got enough pressure on you already. But we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. Meanwhile, 10 years later, my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married. My biological clock is ticking like this. And the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. Lisa, I don't need this. I swear to God, I do not need this right now, okay? I got a judge that's just aching to throw me in jail. An idiot who wants to fight me for $200. Slaughtered pigs. Giant loud whistles. I ain't slept in five days. I got no money. A dress code problem. And a little murder case, which in the balance holds the lives of two innocent kids. Not to mention your biological clock, my career, your life, our marriage, and let me see, what else can we pile on? Is there any more shit we could pile on to the top of the outcome of this case? Is it possible? Maybe it was a bad time to bring it up. So when she does the biological clock thing, she like stomps on the floor and has her like her her arms up in this way. And it's just, oh, it's perfect. And I mean, I don't know. I feel kind of wrong saying this, but if like if you have not experienced like not just New York, I feel like that's like Staten Island. (laughs) I was getting strong Staten Island from her at times, which, I mean, she is in the King of Staten Island. She definitely knows how to do Staten Island, oh, I'll tell you that much. Oh, definitely. But, like, she is, and it's so, it must seem so comical and, over, uh, like, cartoonish and over the top to people who who haven't had that experience. But, like, I, I assure you, 
the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very believable character. Uh, and his expressions, by the way, and you know what? And he brought up, I meant to bring up, we haven't talked about him, JT, who uh, he, uh, right, who loses $200 when, when Vinny first uh, gets held in contempt. Uh, she tries to, Lisa tries to kind of hustle the money uh, playing pool and she beats this guy, JT, and JT doesn't have the money he owes her $200. So there's the, the it's another kind of series of, of events where, yeah, it's a recurring bit that comes up where and he's getting trying to get the $200 back. And I remember, so... Like, yes, we know I can remember where I saw movies and like when I saw them. Yeah. But I happen, I just have this memory of the theater erupting into laughter that when, when Vinny, he's covered in mud and he and JT finally has the money and Vinny's just like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And JT won't leave him alone. And, and (laughs) Vinny just jumps. To yes. punch him, it's just a full on like Superman taking like off to fly. Yeah, jumps to knock out JT, and it's just so he just knocks him out, grabs the money, and keeps going. It's so good, so wonderful. Uh, yeah, I I remember being in the theater and the theater just erupting into laughter for that. Right, and uh, you know, in the the intro to this episode, one of the uh, the reviewers. Um, Richard Corliss from Time Magazine, who didn't care for this movie, mentioned how everybody else was laughing and cheering in the theater when he was not enjoying it so much. So it was a, an experience, you know, to to see this kind of go down. And I think that after, for a lot of people, you know, who had just seen him in his role in Goodfellas, you know, to see him play a character like this just must have been a real, real treat. Had he not, well, and it's, I always love thinking about how Goodfellas and Home Alone were in theaters at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's true. So you could go from one, you could go to the multiplex and go from one screen to the next and see Joe Pesci. Yeah. <laughs> in two very different roles. But, but yeah, Vinny is. Oh, man, such a great character. Yeah, I, I mean, th- look, this is a a classic. I uh, I feel like Marissa Tomei. I I don't remember who she was up against in the Academy Awards for her performance, uh, but I can't imagine what would have been better than this. She's so good. Well, Are you and there was, up? there was, I am looking it up, but there was, there was some controversy around this that. Right. People uh, didn't believe, people believe that, was it Jack Palance? It was who, Jack uh, Palance. <laughs> yeah. They thought that he read the wrong name and it wasn't, uh, it, the only time this has happened <laughs> was the whole uh, La La Land situation and, and you know, moonlight situation that happened just a few years ago and i uh, just kind of showed you nope this is what happens when somebody says the wrong thing so the nominees that year uh the, 
aside from Marissa Tomei for Best Supporting Actress, were Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives. Okay. Joan Plowright for Enchanted April. Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End. And Miranda Richardson for Damage. Yeah. So how many of the people who's talking about any of those movies for lately? British actresses? Well, I mean, people might talk about husbands and wives. <laughs> I don't know that anyone's going to watch it ever again, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So right. but talking about it versus watching it. Yeah. But it's like this is I'm, a as as we know, has become a beloved Frequently talked about movie for so many different reasons and her performance. I mean, and at this point, she's still pretty early in her career. Um, she had been on a different and a different world. She'd been on a different world. She was in a few movies here and there. Uh, her first movie was actually an uncredited performance in The Toxic Avenger. Which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she just completely crushed it. As she continues to do to this day, she's always good. And I, I'm I'm just so happy that uh, she's still working so that we can enjoy her, her performances. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, like, go on too much about the performances in this. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, Dan, what are we going to do with this movie? Oh, wow. Okay. Well... Before what are we going to do with this movie, let's talk about what What has been done, could have been, well, what could have been done, because there there was a script for a sequel that had Vinny uh, working on a case in England, and um, I think it it didn't end up happening because Marissa Tomei dropped out and Dale Launer wasn't going to like didn't want to rewrite it and without Lisa mm-hmm. in it and so I think it just kind of um faded away and then in 2017 author Lawrence Kelter published the book Back to Brooklyn which is a sequel to My Cousin Vinny uh huh. if you would allow me to read the uh I can read the synopsis for you here please do uh, that I that I copied from online Gambini is back, hot on the heels of rescuing his cousin Bill and Bill's friend Stan from an Alabama electric chair. Our wildly inappropriate hero, Vincent Gambini, heads home to Brooklyn, where he attempts to establish a successful law career. Meanwhile, Lisa aches to have a wedding band placed around her finger and her biological clock is still ticking away like mad. Vinny and Lisa have been together 10 long years. She's waited so very patiently for him to complete law school and pass the bar. Winning his first case was the last piece of the puzzle, and now nothing can stand in the way of true love, except that between them they don't have two nickels to rub together, and Vinny is about as romantic as a box of frogs. Which is... Wow. Not romantic. And then it says, uh, sorry, it goes, in the course of building his practice, Vinny is reunited with Joe, his walking, talking embarrassment of a brother, Lisa's nudging parents, Ma and Augie, and his dear old friend, Judge Henry Malloy, who refers him the mother of all capital murder cases. So I guess what happens is uh, Lisa works basically as his investigator 
Okay. So he's, you know, he's uh, defending uh, this. It says Teresa Cotodi is young and pretty, but far from innocent. And darn her luck. Her boyfriend has just been scraped off the pavement after taking a header from eight stories up. So that that's who he's defending. And you've got a uh, you've got a, a DA. And I believe there was a there was a second novel published as well in 2020. And it was supposed to uh, it was supposed to kind of um, emulate the uh, like the thin man novels. OK. With Vinny okay. and Lisa kind of working together on these on these cases. And I. You know, I th- I think uh, going that route is uh, it, it's it's a good way to continue the story and actually set it then without having to recast any of the characters. When you read the book, I mean, you yeah. can think about Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei, and you can you, or Andrew Dice Clay or Andrew Dice. Well, maybe Andrew Dice Clay is his brother. His, that, Joe, yeah. his walking, talking embarrassment of a brother, which, you know, Ange, right. Dice, Andrew had, Dice Clay. Right. Yeah. He's he's had a bit of a career resurgence. Yeah. Uh, a star is born. He was great in that Blue, as uh, Blue Jasmine. He was, as, he was good in that. Right. We won't talk about that. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Star is born. Lady Gaga's father. Like, yeah, he was wonderful. Yeah. He was great. So. Uh, so that's so that's one approach that's that's been taken. In thinking about what else could be done, I was thinking, I was really thinking about it. It's like, yeah, what what kind of a sequel are you going to do now? I, I don't know. I feel like Joe Pesci, like after The Irishman, kind of went back into retirement. And and it's like, yeah, what, what are you going to do with this that's going to feel genuine and is going to make sense? I... I, I the other i started to go in the in the direction of like of of a musical but my uh, cuz then what what are you going to have you're going to have you know song like the songs and somebody up there people up there you know doing their best versions of these characters so i mean it felt like like a musical kind of would make make sense but I was thinking of more of like a a loose remake, kind of in the vein of a what men want versus what women want, where it borrows the concept, but not necessarily the the characters. So just trying to think of a contemporary way to do the fish out of water, like legal comedy. And I was just, I was kind of thinking, I was like, well, like what, what, how do you do this? What do you do uh, if you're going to set it contemporary? Do you set it even in the United States? Um, And and I was just like, kind of thinking, I was like, what do you set it in Canada? And then I thought, oh, Dan Levy. Uh, Oh, yeah. I was like, and and then I thought about Dan Levy and I was like, uh, or Dan Levy and, and I Levy. Le- Dan Levy. Apologies. So uh, I- I'm thinking about Dan Levy and thinking about the the kind of character, the, the comedy of Schitt's Creek and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of the heart in that comedy, the character in that comedy and thinking like he would be a good person to, you know, write, perhaps star in a, a My Cousin Vinny 
remake. And it, it could really like it does not have to be Italian Americans from Brooklyn no. going into the South. And you yeah. could do like you could make this you could, uh, you know, have it be more like culturally, less geographically fish out sure. of water. Um, you know, there's there's a there, I think there's a lot of ways that you could do it. But to me, that's kind of the best way to do this is not necessarily to remake this movie, but to do something in the spirit of it that carries that same concept and puts it in a different context. And I have no, uh, I, I, I have no thoughts for, for casting. Uh, Mm -hmm. I suppose, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of comedians out there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of really funny people. And also, you know, it's like, you can, gender doesn't, you know, it's like, that's not really an, an issue. So it's really wide open where you could do this, you know, you could kind of mix and match and juxtapose, uh, you know, culturally, geographically whatnot. And, and, and make some, and make, uh, a good comedy out of it. Right. So, yeah. So Dan, you know, you mentioned the idea of, or I guess the the idea that wouldn't work of a musical, but I need to make sure that you are aware of the album Vincent LaGuardia Gambini sings for you. I, I am. <laughs> I am. Okay. I, I, I don't own it, nor have I ever listened to it, but I, I, I'm definitely aware of it. Okay. Well, so my idea, I think in a lot of ways is very similar to what you're talking about, but the way I see it is I want to see Lisa um, again. And I think that the best way to do this would be without Vinny. Um, Perhaps this takes place shortly after he has passed on, considering he is significantly older than Lisa. And we have a movie called My Cousin Vinny's Widow, because Ralph Macchio is back, baby. And wouldn't it be great if maybe like at the funeral of uh, Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, we have um, Bill, Ralph Macchio, uh, and he's in some sort of pickle. And he, the only person he knows that can investigate and figure out like a situation, the only person he knows who can do it better than his cousin Vinny is... Mona Lisa Vito and uh, not saying that she's an attorney. I'm saying that maybe she is, you know, helping him. I, I don't know, like as like a private detective or something, but like, you know, I'd love to see Marissa Tomei bring back this character and lead a movie with it. That would be, I, I I really like that idea. And it, it also makes me think that, you know, assuming that things went as planned post my cousin Vinny, there right. would be a kid who at this point would be probably in their, you know, mid to late twenties. And, mm-hmm. uh, which would be another interesting, a way to kind of almost bring back the Vinny character without bringing Vinny back. Cause you'd have Vinny's right. son and her daughter. I, uh, 
So right, yeah. Who I don't. I'm I'm trying to think of who. Um, like Lauren Lapkus. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I couldn't tell you who. As like the I child of of Joe Pesci and right Marissa Tomei. Well, I think that the. Uh, the thing that comes to mind, and this is where we kind of talk about, well, actually, I don't know, maybe because like, uh, you know, Lisa's full name is Mona Lisa in Parks and Recreation. Jenny Slate plays Mona Lisa Saperstein. Oh my God. She's got Jenny a lot of that Slate. vibe to her. Yeah. I feel like Jenny Slate would be the, uh, the perfect love child of Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei <laughs> in those roles. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's hilarious, so I, I would have no objection yeah. to that. But yes, to see Marissa Tomei lead the the film. Sure. And yeah, yeah. I guess that, that is or how you do it. my a... cousin Vinny's daughter. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. So, Dan. My cousin by marriage, uh, Lisa. My cousin by marriage. I love the idea of having it follow the same title format as My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, I like it. My Cousin so, Vinny's uh, Widow. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you tell everyone what we're doing on our next episode? All right. So, so next up, we're going to be taking a look at the 1985 mystery comedy Fletch, as well as its 1988 sequel, Fletch yeah. Lives, starring everybody's favorite SNL alum, Chevy Chase. And uh, at least everyone's favorite in the the original in 19 in the original Fletch, uh, co starring yeah. a young Gina Davis. That's right. Oh, getting ourselves back into the Gina Davis and it was game like George after Wendt, a very brief break. George Wendt is is in that, and uh, Tim Matheson. So mm -hmm. I'm excited. Well, we're going to gonna get into it. Directed by Michael Ritchie of uh, Bad News Bears fame. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we're well, gonna Dan, get our fletch as on. you are, yeah, as you are uh, heading cross country to go to college. With your uh, with your buddy, grad school. I bid you a grad good school. journey. Excuse me, grad school. Grad school. Yeah, thank you. Well, I bid you a good journey either way. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs>